Zach Mack. It's your buddy Sean. I'm in a Chevy Colorado driving to California during this global pandemic because I miss my mama and she's been all alone all year and she needs some company. We're in Kentucky right now. We've only seen two Confederate flags in Kentucky and I can't wait for the day where we see zero. Love you lots. Stay safe. Bye. That was my buddy Sean Ramaswaram, who, by the way, hosts an incredible podcast for Vox called Today Explained. And Sean right now is spending hundreds of dollars and tens of hours to rent a car and drive across the country because he feels safer driving than he does flying. And while he's driving by those Confederate flags, he's reminded of our ever-present societal tension in this country, something we've seen a lot of this past year. So in today's episode, we're going to look at that, both with the pandemic and social tensions raging. And later, we're going to look at it through the technological lens, at how today's innovations will affect the possibility of tomorrow's road trip. Greetings from somewhere. I'm Zach Mack, and this is the present and future of the American Road Trip. It has been a year. And because of that, we've never needed more of an escape. But we're not really flying much, and international travel feels like a no-go. So this year, I think we all had the same idea. The most obvious thing is road trips. You can get in your car, you can drive somewhere, you're in control of where you stop, how many people are coming with you, and what you do. Truro Mizanzewa is a travel reporter at the New York Times, and tracking travel trends is her job. There is very much a preference for being in a car, going camping, renting an RV, and like van life. (laughs) We know that people want to spend their time outside. Like that sense of, I'm in charge of this space. The other thing we saw lots of people doing was going to like Western states like Colorado, right? And like Montana, where there's the whole push for tourism there. I mean, of course, there's lots of culture and all of that too. But a big component of it is you're in the great outdoors. People loved being outside. And so many people were visiting those states this summer. And it'll be sort of be interesting to see what that looks like in the wintertime. Like, are people still going to be going there to like, I don't know, ski? I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I mean, I feel like half the appeal to a place like Wyoming or or Montana is come here because no one else is here. (laughs) No one else lives (laughs) here. (laughs) And now it's like, even if everybody goes there, it still doesn't feel that way, right? Like, because it's so open and you have so much outdoor space like all your friends could go and you don't feel like everybody's on top of each other so all those states have definitely got that going for them so that was the thinking behind everybody's going to get in the car this summer everybody's going to go camping and people want to be outside and more than anything they just want to be in control of their vacation i actually went on a decent sized road trip in august a friend of mine and i rented a car and just cruised through new england for eight days it was great But between the rental car, all the tolls, eating out, the Airbnbs, it was not cheap. However, it was well worth it because it was the first real traveling I had gotten to do during the pandemic. And like my friend Sean, I felt safer in the car than I did on a plane. But while a bunch of us were taking to the road to feel safer, Trier was thinking about the people who don't always feel that safe on the road, and not because of COVID. This summer, she wrote a powerful piece saying, quote, The family road trip is making a comeback in the wake of coronavirus. But for African-American motorists, it's never been a source of unfettered freedom. 
for a lot of Black people, there's a real challenge and like added concerns and anxieties around this experience that we've all been told is an essential part of the great American experience. Churros Peace got a lot of responses from Black readers. You have people who are just like, I'm excited to do it, I'm going to do it. And people who say, absolutely not, I'm not going to do it. And then people who say, I'm going to go, but I'm going to be really prepared. The overwhelming response, which was, I'm mapping out before I go where I'm stopping along this journey. And my hope was to sort of say with this story, like, Black people get in cars and they drive every single day and they go places. We travel like anybody else does. But also there is this added pressure, anxiety, concern around that experience for a lot of us. We aren't monolithic. None of us are having the exact same experience. But I did find in those responses and through my reporting that it's something that comes as an added burden. Like, even if you love to road trip, chances are if you're Black and doing it, you're doing some extra planning, you're doing some extra organizing. You're thinking about not just where you want to stop along the way for a meal or to get gas, but also where you want to spend a night. That was something somebody else brought up that, you know, as as a child, they used, their family used the Green Book to sort of figure out where where it would be safe for a Black family to stay. And now it's reading reviews on Airbnb about a town sort of posting messages in a Facebook group, texting friends and saying, hey, when you guys did this trip, where did you stay? And that form of sharing information about where to stay, which roads to take, that kind of thing, has become sort of this modern day green book. You might remember last episode, we discussed the green book and some of the plight of Black Americans on the road over the years. But that was all focused on history and the past. Right now, on the other hand, we're talking about what's still happening today. And there's actually this other podcast that I've been listening to lately that very thoughtfully bridges the gap between the experiences of then and now for black motorists. It's called Driving the Green Book. It is a testament to African-Americans that in the face of all we have experienced, we have been creative, we have been insightful, and we have been forgiving. And our collective knowledge and hard-won wisdom was captured in the Green Book. When I first heard this show, I immediately knew I wanted to talk to the host, Alvin Hall. So I reached out. Okay, I'm going to give you some history because I think that's really important. Alvin is a bit of a renaissance man. He's written a bunch of books. He's in his 60s, lives in Manhattan. And honestly, I just had a lot of fun listening to him tell stories about how he and his producers had this long road trip while making the podcast. Before COVID, they ended up driving the Green Book from Detroit all the way down to New Orleans. Well, the trip was, we had scheduled it so that we had uh, about three and a half to four hours of driving maximum every day. And we would have, then have interviews. We'd meet people along the way who had used the Green Book, who knew about the Green Book, who drove on the roads of America during that period of time, who had experiences during their travel who could expand what we could glean just by looking through the listings in the book. So we would drive, talk to people, get back into the car, go off to the next location. At every time, we would try to eat something local, talk to somebody, and get their memories about the Green Book. And uh, it, it became, as we went south, I can tell you that there was an anxiety build in the car. 
so that we were very conscious of driving exactly at the speed limit, not driving too fast, not driving too slow, because the last thing we wanted to do was to get stopped along the way. We talked a lot about his anxiety on the road, because even when things are calm, there's that persistent fear that something might still happen. And while things have obviously improved for Black Americans since the 50s and 60s, we as a nation are still very much on our journey. Alvin says some of the strides that have been made are because of technology. The difference for many of them is that you have a device called a cell phone that you can record this stuff with. And that's the big difference for many of them. Just think of how many people probably disappeared or how many people were were killed and just left there on the road to be found with no evidence if they had not been cell phones. Yeah, and it, se- it seems, like, seems like a lot of that anxiety still persists, even though maybe, you know, officially sundown towns aren't a thing anymore, right? But, but that anxiety is persisting. Oh, no, 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 no. And that part, that's what most people assume. But if you look at all of these towns where there was white flight, Detroit, Birmingham, they're still de facto sundown communities. But the police are the people who make sure that any Black person coming through there is stopped, ask why you're here. So these communities still exist all across America. They're just not as obvious. Black people, we have the means to get on the road. We can buy our car. We can stay in hotels. It may not always be the best experience, but then we just shrug it off and say, I'm going to have a good time when I get to where I'm going. And I think that we enjoy the road. I think this is a period where we've had perhaps the broadest experience of that part of the American dream. But there's still an uncertainty to it if you get stopped or you get accused of something. And it's that worry and that uncertainty that still exists in our minds. Noelle Trent, who is the director of the National Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Motel, she said, uh, she talks about her parents and our grandparents, how they still get up at three in the morning and want to get on the roads or early in the morning because it's it's part of what was handed down because we recognize that some areas of society have changed, but not all. That's just the truth of America. All right, we're going to pull off at one of these rest stops for a quick break. But when we come back, we're looking at the evolution of the car and what a road trip might look like in 50 years. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Have you ever seen the movie I Am Legend? Six billion people on Earth when the infection hit. 
I'm a survivor living in New York City. It's this movie about a zombie apocalypse and Will Smith, who is basically the only living person left in New York City. It's entertaining. The, the whole first 45 minutes is just Will Smith and his dog driving around a completely empty city. He's hunting deer in Times Square. He's golfing on the freeway. New York is empty, so he just does whatever he wants. And there's this real sense of freedom while he's roaming the streets. But there's also this looming sense of dread because of this mysterious disease. And in a lot of ways, living in New York after the pandemic hit felt a little like that. The avenues were deserted. The city was really quiet. It's pretty eerie. And I have this memory of riding my bike through the middle of Times Square during rush hour. And it was empty. That moment made me think a lot about how we move through a city. And it felt like things were really starting to change. A lot of kind of cycling advocates and urban activists said, oh, this is great. We're opening up streets. The cars are gone. Traffic is gone. This is Dan Albert. He's an automotive journalist and transportation expert. And he says cars aren't going anywhere. But what we're finding now that it's dragged on is people are uh, buying more cars. They're afraid to use public transportation. They're certainly not thrilled about getting in an Uber. So in a lot of ways, the automobile is kind of resurgent. The automotive industry has been up and down, but regardless of how many people are buying cars today, there's already so many cars out there. So there are already more cars in the country than there are people licensed to drive them. And I've always found that statistic fascinating, right? Because even if we all got in our cars immediately, there'd still be, you know, a million parked. We are a country full of cars, but I'm a little less interested in cars as they exist today. And I'm much more interested in what they're going to be like tomorrow and where the industry is taking us. You know, even a year ago, there was a lot of expectation that we would have driverless cars this year, next year, within five years. And that's really faded away. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is we go back to the fact that Cars are great. People love driving them. And and again, cars are horrible in all kinds of ways. Don't get me wrong. But as far as people are concerned, they actually like to drive and they don't even mind commuting as much as we think they might. So still driving is is big. And then, of course, the other thing is that technologically, it turns out to have been much harder than the enthusiast thought. Dan says for all the cars on the road to go driverless or even just electric, it's going to take a while. On the one hand, it takes about 30 years for the vehicle fleet, the national vehicle fleet, to turn over. So in other words, if we started selling everyone an electric car tomorrow, we'd be looking at 30 years or more before uh, all the cars were electric. That's a far cry from where we all thought we'd be. Because personally, I'm still trying to get over the cars back to the future thought we'd have by 2015. Roads. Where we're going, we don't need road. But okay, maybe cars are still going to look like cars for a little while, but what about how we use the roads? Well, the big technology is what's called connected vehicles or connected vehicle and infrastructure. And that's been slowly moving forward, and that will certainly make roads safer. It will also potentially allow you to have more what they call throughput of vehicles to reduce traffic. And that happens because you can 
kind of platoon cars is the reference or the, the term of art where cars can travel within a few inches of each other. You don't need that safe space between you. And then you could also conceivably take a, a say, a four-lane highway and make it a five-lane highway without making it any wider. So you really compress the space each vehicle uh, needs. And that does create uh, more opportunity, more mobility, more travel. Here's the thing, though. If you love road trips, electric cars just ain't there yet. They don't have enough range and they take too damn long to recharge for now. I do think, you know, better range, better batteries, less expense, lighter weight materials, all of that's going to happen. I think the other thing, and a lot of people in the business talk about this, is the speed of the recharge. So you don't want to sit for an hour on a road trip at a gas station so to speak, and, and recharge. So once you can get recharging down to five, 10 minutes, then you really have a vehicle that uh, has a lot of the, the same qualities as a gas car. Nice. I, I drove across the country uh, two years ago in a, in a Prius and it was great. I think I got 50 miles to the gallon. It, it just didn't cost much to, to fill the tank and it just cruise cruise across the country. It was pretty easy. Yeah. You know, it's interesting in hearing your questions, there, there is a generational shift. So there is the possibility that younger people will turn their backs on the road trip as a, an immoral or, or unconscionable thing to do. And we saw this several years ago with um, SUVs. Suddenly SUVs became, you know, persona non grata. They were not something young people wanted. And increasingly, I think we're seeing that with automobiles generally. And I, and I could see a way in which, unless you're in an electric car or a Prius, the road trip does seem somewhat immoral. So I guess my 76 Buick that gets 14 miles to the gallon would not wash. Interesting. You know, I, you, I, you probably don't know this off the top of your head, but I'm wondering if the carbon emissions of you driving across the country, what that would measure up to to you flying across the country. Funny, it's actually one of the things where flying is is worse. But I guess even if you're flying, you're flying. There's probably a couple hundred people on the plane, so you can you can divide you can divide that carbon cost by the amount of people on the plane. And yet, it's still worse. Really? You know, again, my '76 Buick, maybe that's worse. But if you're certainly if you're driving your Prius, and then again, imagine my minivan with which seats uh, seven or eight. Boy, we just cut our carbon footprint right down. The the most carbon intensive way of traveling, even in a commercial airline with lots of other people, is by plane. Yeah, because because you you know the more you think about when you think about travel as a whole, and you think about you think about resources and climate change and things like over tourism and your carbon footprint, it just seems like the <laughs> the, the, the solution is don't go anywhere. The most responsible thing you can do is not leave wherever you are. But that's, that's not practical. I mean, I hear you, and I think you're absolutely right. I do think that we need to understand that most of the travel we're doing is kind of back and forth to work. And, you know, living in more densely populated areas and all of that is, in a sense, much more moral. I think there's another thing which, you know, is worth alluding to. And that is that if you try to go to the national parks, you know, Yosemite, there's a traffic jam. There's horrible air quality in uh, the centers of these parks. So the solution to that is clearly to ban vehicles, certainly private vehicles, from those parks. And, for instance, I, we were at Sand Dunes National Monument. 
It's in the middle of Colorado, and it has sand dunes, and it's fascinating. Uh, we took a little tour. We went over the first set of dunes, and the guide said, you've gone farther than 95% of the people that come here. So, so much of travel for people is getting in the car, sliding open the door, opening the door, taking a picture, getting back in the car, and that has to change. People need to get back to really seeing the country and understanding the world we're living in because if your entire road trip is inside the car, you really haven't gone anywhere and you haven't gained the real benefits of travel, which is seeing the world from a different perspective, meeting different kinds of people. And I think those are the things that the road trip and that kind of travel, um, ultimately, I think uh, that that's the best positive thing uh, that can come of it. So I have this fantasy, and I want you to tell me when this fantasy might be able to become a reality, which is it's, it's Friday afternoon. Maybe I decide I'm knocking off work a couple hours early. I go outside, uh, whether I'm at my house or I'm at an office building, I, I walk outside. There is a car that's running and waiting for me. Maybe I own it, maybe I don't. I hop into the back seat of that car. Hello, Zachary. Leaving work early today? You naughty, naughty boy. It's a big, luxurious back seat. I have a glass of whiskey. I've prepared your whiskey. All set to go. And I, I flip on one of my favorite movies. Yeah, uh, kill the Batman. And the car whisks me away out of town to my my weekend getaway destination that I and I can lounge there and and when I kind of come to I've arrived at my destination uh when when is that going to happen well the whiskey's here now but I do think you're looking at 20 40 years before that does happen a, a little I, I don't know if you'd be willing to you know adjust your your dreams a little bit but there's certainly the option or, or the expectation that in the next five, ten years, you'll be able to own a car, even rent a car, where you can't watch a movie, but you really can kind of not pay attention, especially on the interstates. And, and that's been a long, viable technology where basically you get yourself to the highway and, and you sip your whiskey and everything's taken care of by the car. So... You'll get that within your lifetime, maybe even in my lifetime. I assume I'm much older than you, so. 50 years. What do you, what do you think the American road trip looks like in 50 years? I, I really think and hope that it will become the thing that we really do with cars as opposed to driving to work. I've always had this vision of commuting by train or maybe even commuting with an electric car that gets, you know, a 40 mile range, which is plenty for everyday life. And then also being able to have, you know, a classic 1957 Chevy or a giant SUV, even if you want, and you do your summer road trip in that. So it never leaves the driveway most of the time. But, you know, when you need to haul a lot of stuff or you want to take that great luxury ride on a, on a vehicle, I think that's what you save those vehicles for, right? So it's not so much that SUVs are bad, it's that SUVs travel on average 15,000 miles a year. I'd love to see that, and, and I can see that happening. I can see a transformation of daily travel to other technologies, even if it's just smaller cars, 
and yet um, still having that uh, that fun car, if you will, for for that road trip and really enjoying it. It's clear the road trip as we know it is going to change. So if we want to hold on to it, we have to redefine it to make it more affordable and inclusive, safer, more environmentally responsible, and it has to be about more than what we see on a Visa commercial. We think we're kind of born knowing what a road trip is. And we certainly have our own experiences of road trips, whether it's riding in the back seat with our parents or taking our own road trip. But there is also this external thing going on where, uh, and this is true throughout American history, where we're encouraged to take a road trip as a birthright. We're encouraged to take a road trip to be acculturated to American life. That iconic road trip is is reinforced to the point where it's almost as if you don't have that road trip. If if the road trip doesn't bring your family closer together, and you know you don't see uh, the great sights, it rains or whatever, you've had a bad road trip. You haven't lived up to this mythic road trip, and that mythic road trip is um, serving a purpose. In other words, telling that story is serving a purpose. Credit cards, Bank of America is trying to sell you. Uh, credit cards by saying you can use this credit card and go and and be free and have a road trip. So the road trip is not just something that you know exists in our minds or is is kind of real in the sense of being you know a given. It's something that's constantly reinforced culturally by advertising and and uh, promotion of the road trip. This is The American Road Trip. Yo, that is it for today, but pack your bags because next week we are going somewhere magical. That's all I'm going to say. I want to thank my guests, Tariro, Alvin, and Dan. Dan has a book out called Are We There Yet?, Alvin has a wonderful show with Macmillan Podcast called Driving the Green Book. And you can check out Tariro on the New York Times. Shouts out to Acast and Lightbox Jewelry for all the support. I want to give a big thanks to Simon Adler and Megan Kunain, who gave me some incredible edits for this series. Thanks, guys. And this episode was mixed, mastered, and sound designed by a naughty, naughty boy, Dan Turek. Thanks, buddy. Original music and scoring by someone mysterious. Absolutely inspiring original art by Alicia Tenoyan. Legal by Sam the Yuppie Don Alcabez. This episode was produced by me, Zach Mack. Once again, we got to talk about ratings and reviews because if you hit five stars or leave a little comment about how great this show is, it does help other people find the show. I don't have a marketing budget, guys. Help me out. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, tap that button for me. If you want to follow along the show or know more or leave us a voicemail, there's a bunch of links in the show notes. But yeah, check out the newsletter. You can check me out on social media. I post about the show a lot. And then also, it would be dope if you shared a travel story of yours with us. You can actually call in and leave a message and share an experience you had while on the road or traveling during this very strange time. The phone number for the voicemail in the show notes. Check that out. And again, we will be back next week. We're taking a big trip. So you don't want to miss that. See you next time. Safe travels.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.